sit by the light by the window high above the tree oh the moon is shining bright lighting everything inside but tonight no more light will shine on me oh it's shameful and it's sad lost the only pal i had cause she couldn't be what she wanted me to be i will hold my head up high to that dark and rolling sky but tonight no more light will shine on me Mistaken, and I thought that she'd be true And had no idea what a woman in love would do But one more night, the stars are in sight And tonight I'm as lonesome as can be Oh, I miss my darling so, I didn't mean to see her go But tonight, no more light will shine on me Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me, and we have been listening to a gentleman by the name of Ed Barney. He's out of the Shepherdstown, Hagerstown, Western Maryland area. He is a phenomenal guitar player, as you could tell by his guitar playing on that song. He also sings pretty darn good, and he's highly sought after, not only as a solo performer at uh, wineries and breweries and places like that, but also as a sideman or a member of an ensemble. And I have him on the phone right now. Ed, how are you? I'm doing well, Todd. Good to speak with you again. Well, that was... I mean, I've heard you perform live at the Frederick Festival of the Arts, and for years before that, we were kind of, I was kind of booking shows and bringing you in, doing things, and I'd hear people talk about Eddie Barney, and I said, is Eddie Barney Ed Barney? Because <laughs> right. I guess many of your friends call you Eddie, is that correct? That is correct. I grew up uh, for 35 years, and I was known as Eddie Barney, but I owned a bar in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, uh, Ed's Beer and Wine. Uh, from 1994 to 2003, and in 1994, I became Ed Barney. <laughs> so I just went with it. <laughs> well, you know, it's everyone needs a moniker, right? Especially in the music Absolutely. business. Right. So are you? have you always been from the Shepherdstown, kind of Hagerstown, Charlestown I was born area? In, I have. I was born in Martinsburg, and... Um, Left there when I was 17. I was very fortunate enough to travel with a group called Up With People. Oh, yes. I remember uh, that. Yeah. Yes. I was uh, a part of uh, one of the groups, and I was the electric guitar player. And uh, when I, I came back uh, after my tour and then uh, uh, settled in Martinsburg for a time, and then uh, I moved to Baltimore, uh, maybe the, uh, 1989, 1990, and lived in Baltimore for a time. Uh, and then moved back to the Martinsburg area. I was got married and had children and that kind of thing. And uh, so I moved around a little bit, uh, spent time in Winchester, Virginia, and uh, now I'm settled in Hagerstown, Maryland. So. Well, how did your music career, if I can call it a career, because it, it is, I know you have a day job, but how did your music being start? How, how old oh, were you? What happened? I was, uh, I was six years old when I started playing. Um, from what I remember, my mother told me that I showed aptitude on uh, a guitar and was really enthusiastic about learning to play. So, uh, there was a wonderful music teacher in Martinsburg and I took lessons for three years from the age of six to nine. And I went through 10 of the Mel Bay 
you know, teaching books along with her. <laughs> and uh, so started then. And then as I moved to middle school and high school, I was in all the bands and that kind of thing. And then uh, especially in high school, it really took off. I, uh, I had seven music classes my senior year in high school. I was in the jazz band and uh, really enjoyed jazz music and big band music and um, just kept it going all the way through, you know. Now, when you first showed the aptitude on guitar at the age of six, what kind of a guitar were you playing? Was it like a harmony or a silver oh, tone was, or something? It was, a, it was a harmony classical style guitar. It cost $39 from Western Auto yep. in Martinsburg. <laughs> it was really hard to play at the time. So, uh, you know, my, uh, uh, my teacher, I don't know how he's doing this, but he's doing it. And, of course, you know, at, at the age of 10, 11, I got a better guitar and, uh, I believe I got a um, just a Fender. It was a Fender uh, acoustic guitar at the time. That would have been 1970, 1976, 77, something mm -hmm. like that. Yes, yes. Now, when did you transition? What? Well, let's back up a little bit. What style of music were you playing in those formative years? Uh, I was playing jazz music in the high school jazz band. I was in the show choir music, playing show choir music. Um, around that time I was playing drums in the marching band. I was a drummer for a time. I was, uh, but always played guitar, um, through those years and, and, uh, really no one in my area was playing music. So I didn't, I wasn't in a band or anything, but, uh, other than high school years, um, I was all over the place. Uh, I liked country music. I liked my father, uh, would play bluegrass records. I liked Southern rock. I liked just a little bit of everything and would, would play, uh, uh, all the styles. Now, what is your personal favorite style? Oh, well today, if you ask me, I still am, uh, I like it all. I, um, I have personal favorites, for instance, I'm a little feet fan. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, uh, in the late eighties, I found out who Tony Rice was and that's probably my favorite guitar player of all time. Uh, well, not probably it is, <laughs> he is just the way, the way he, his presentation and I've gotten to see him many times. And, and matter of fact, within the bluegrass field, uh, festivals and such, I've got to sit and talk with him, which was a thrill. Um, but I, I played blues music, I, um, Chicago style blues on the electric. I was with a band out of Baltimore called the heaters for the longest time, uh, in the nineties. Um, but I think, uh, uh, around that time I found out who Tony Rice was and it was all over after that. So. Now, how did you get to speak with him? <laughs> I was in a band, um, patent pending, mm -hmm. uh, based out of Baltimore or I'm sorry, Washington, DC. And I joined uh, uh, in 1991 and stayed with them for about 16 years. Wow. Uh, of course, we were playing festivals, uh, North Carolina, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and of course, he was on the bill. So um, I had my pass for the weekend, you know, and I, I had backstage uh, entrance and of course, when he's there, I was there. <laughs> and uh, I just, you know, he was uh, very accessible. That's the, the fun part. Blues music, bluegrass music, those types of music, all the artists that you look up to and listen to are very accessible. Um, so they talk they, with them. And, yeah, they don't um, feel like they're being intruded upon when you speak to them. No. Uh, very personable, uh, very humble. Um, they give me that they would uh, all the artists that I've come in contact with were very nice and very humble and uh, forthcoming with a lot of information about where they have been, where they're going, and that kind of thing. It was it's just been a wonderful experience. Now, did you ever get to perform on stage or maybe backstage with any of your your guitar heroes? I did. I um, with the Heaters group. Now it was that was a like a variety, but based in blues music. Mm -hmm. And um, I did several shows with Little Little Ed and the Blues Imperials, Little Charlie and the Nightcats, uh, some of these um, Alligator Record bands. If you remember Alligator Records, mm -hmm. maybe in the mid mid eighties, they were just taking off, and all those groups. Omar and the Howlers comes to mind, and uh, you know was on same some festivals and that kind of thing uh, with all these folks. So. Um, well, you know. now, 
were you a full-time musician at that point? Um, no, I was not. I but I have been several times in my life, only for about a year. Um, you know, it, it was either feast or famine, as a lot of folks would, a lot of musicians will know. You know, yeah. I, so I've always held a day job, um, whether it be uh, in a grocery store or which is my background. I, I'm a, I work for the American Dairy Association now, so uh, it allows me, um, you know, allows me time to to go play music uh, whenever I want. Well, how did you do, holding a day job, how did you do these festivals that might have been in like North Carolina or places like that? Um, we would leave on Friday morning, mm-hmm. and I would have the weekend off. And, of course, we'll, we'll be back late on Sunday night. And then uh, back to work. Yeah. So that must have been a very tired Monday morning. It was. I was a much younger man then. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what were you playing guitar-wise during that span of time? Um, in the, the variety blues or the bluegrass? Um, both of them. Uh, when I first started in the band, I had a 1978 uh, D28 Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I fell in love with Taylor guitars maybe a couple years in, and, of course, saved my money. And I, I bought a Taylor DN8 Um very similar to a D28, and uh, I play it to this day. Oh, do you? Because I've yes. only seen you with the Blue Ridge. I have a well. I bought a Blue Ridge. Uh, I should I should back up a little bit. That DN8 uh, was stolen uh. for, out of my car. I would I had owned a bar, lots of things in between there, but it was stolen. And uh, so in the interim, uh, for about six months, I had to find something to play. And uh, the Blue Ridge really. Um, uh, was a wonderful choice for a guitar at the time, and it was uh, affordable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, about about six months in, I was able to afford another one. So I have a Taylor DN8 today, uh, and then I have the Blue Ridge, and those are the only two acoustics I have. Now, how do you choose which one you're going to play at any given time? Well, as you, uh, I, I uh, um, host open mics, mm-hmm. and, uh, of course, my guitar is available to anyone that would want to play it. So, you know, I don't want to take the tailor to a, a bar gig, <laughs> you know, just in case. So I, 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 just, I brought the Blue Ridge and let, let folks play that guitar instead. Sure. Now, what was the reasoning for switching from D28 Martin to the DN8 uh, Taylor? Um, what did you like better the, about the Taylor? The Taylor, the Taylors just were the playability mm-hmm. and um, the tone of the guitar. Um, and I, you know, I was searching for an upgrade, if you will, at the time. Mm-hmm. And I tried Martin guitars, but I lined, if I line up 10 Martin guitars, maybe two would be to my liking. Mm-hmm. As I laid Taylor guitars out, 10 guitars, all 10 played the same way. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just like the way it played. The neck is maybe a, a quarter inch uh, longer, if mm-hmm. you will. And uh, it just fit my hand a little better, especially because at that time when I was playing bluegrass, I just walk up to a mic and play. There's no uh, electric or, or plugins there whatsoever. I was just, I was going to ask you, what do you do as far as amplification? And, and you're absolutely right. In many bluegrass situations, it's that yes. central mic that people move back and yep. forth, to, you know, to and from and shift positions. But how, <laughs> exactly. But how do you? And I've noticed. Um, I'm not a huge bluegrass f- fan, but I've watched many YouTubes and I have seen a few performances. The Because of the fiddle and the banjo mainly, the guitar, poor guitar player, when he walks up to that mic, is, is somewhat drowned out. Absolutely. So and, do you, and, how do you do that? How do you compensate for that? Um, the, the first couple gigs I did with the Patent Pending Group, uh, I shared a banjo mic, which just completely, my hands were just cramping. And, you know, I, I, so I developed my technique of playing is uh, a little more hard, if you will. I use a 1.14 milliliter uh, Dunlop Sharpie pick, mm-hmm. which allows me to get a bounce and get more sound out of the, the guitar. So, um, but as I have my own mic, it, you're able to adjust it with uh, either your sound, you know, I know what I like. And of course, in the, when the festival, when you're on stage, they really know what they're doing. So right. they give you what you need and, and you go from there. Now, so just, to, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, in the last maybe three or four years, um, uh, my hands aren't as strong as they used to be. So now, of course, I have a, uh, I just have a, a, a LR bags pickup uh, that I, and then I use an equalizer in between and I, I plug right into the board. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you gravitate or, or how did you get to that, that Dunlop pick? Did it take you a long time to, to learn no, that was the best pick? No. And um, when I play electric, I use a medium pick. But uh, as I was switching to acoustic, I was in a band with a, a gentleman named Todd Coyle. Of course, who yeah. You, who you know, yes, yeah. out of Charlestown. And um, we were uh, an electric band. We were called the Renegade Radio Waves. And we were switching. We couldn't find a rhythm section. <laughs> at the time for the, and we were switching to two acoustic guitars and uh, uh, so we had three singers and as I was uh, transitioning with that uh, my picks got just got heavier uh, I found that it was I was able to do what I wanted to do and about that same time uh, I found out who Tony Rice was and I, I would uh, use a lot of his kind of things that I was learning that videos I had uh, all of his music and that kind of thing. And I was learning licks left and right. And uh, uh, it seemed, uh, if we were doing a soul music tune, just seemed to fit. So um, as I did more of the bluegrass, where you walk right up to a mic and play, the harder 1.14 just seemed to work for me. And it does today. I um, I give away tons of picks. <laughs> I use, <laughs> I use, I use uh, probably one pick per set. And that's because the Dunlop Sharpie has a point on it that just allows me to get a bounce when I play the way I play. And after it loses that point, and I could file, I could do all this stuff, but it's much easier just to throw that to the side and and, and use a brand new pick. Now, do you find that the thicker picks like that particular 1.1 gives the guitar a more rounded, fatter sound? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, the Taylor right now is just playing with uh, some friends of mine here in Hagerstown, just around the, you know, around in a circle. And my guitar was so loud. <laughs> it was much louder. Uh, the other two had a Martin, two Martins. And, um, um, and they use like a medium pick, if you will. And uh, my, just the sound and the tone of, of what I get, uh, I just really like. Well, I was very pleasantly surprised when I heard you at the uh, Festival of the Arts. And I, I knew from people who knew you that you were a good guitar player and a decent singer, but I, I don't think I had prepared myself to how good you are. Wow. That's, I mean, a, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Which is, which is why I, I've tried to use you as often as I can. I don't, I'm not a booking agent per se, but I do have a few venues, or I did before sure. the pandemic, Absolutely. that would ask me to, to help them find music. And you were one of my top five to kind of try to slot in and you were very gracious in when I'd have cancellations sometimes where you were, you were free, you were able to step in. I do thank you for that. Well, absolutely. And, and Todd, I enjoy it so much and I appreciate all, all you've done for me. I tell you for, for me in the last, I, I guess in the last five to 10 years uh, before that, I was always, I, no one would let me be a part of their group. If you will, I could join in on harmonies and that kind of thing, but I wanted to sing a song. I wanted to do some certain, certain things. So I developed uh, just a solo kind of thing. And, and I took that from, from Tony Rice and other players, Norman Blake, mm-hmm. how they can just play a tune and uh, uh, by themselves. And then for, so all that just sort of developed where, okay, I can go play on my own. So, now, how do you come up with, do you have us, when you go into a gig, do you have a specific set list that you sit down the night um, before, or do you just? Oh, no, I, I, uh, I have a way I play the certain songs, you know, like if I'm at uh, Red Shedman or whatever. I, I know what the crowd, mm-hmm. I think, will like from me, not necessarily, but, you know, they're, they always ask for something that I don't know, and I can't. <laughs> no one can can uh, can uh, sing all the songs out there, but um, I like uh, uh, Gordon Lightfoot. I like certain things that I think um, specific people like, and I try to 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 perform for everyone. Um, but that uh, doesn't always happen, so I just continue with my set list and learn tunes as uh, as we go. Now, 
how many songs can you in your catalog can you play without having to go back and say gosh i need to relearn that oh at least 150. wow so you have a very good size yeah. number that you can kind of draw upon the yes at this point i do and uh, um the only the hardest part is remembering words. <laughs> I, <laughs> so, I'm with you there. Mm-hmm. So, and I was never, you know, I was never a songwriter. I, I've contributed to instrumental music and uh, uh, helped certain parts, but I, I could never uh, write a song myself. And I've tried, I've sat down in different ways. I've gotten tips from songwriters and that kind of thing. It's just not my forte, you know. I have two or three friends who are right there with you and they're, and, and I, having heard you play, you seem to find a lot of joy in what you are playing. So there's no, no real need to go out and find more joy. If that makes any sense musically. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Now of all the people you cover, um, you mentioned, uh, well, you mentioned Bob Dylan when we were off, off air, um, and Gordon Lightfoot and now Tony Rice. If you had to pick five guitar players first and then five guitar player singers second, who would be your top five in the guitar category besides oh Tony Rice? Uh, Norman Blake okay. is in there. Um, Gordon Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, heck. <laughs> um Little Feet. I love Little Feet. Yeah. Little George. Um, blues music, you know, I, I'll, I'll throw in a Stevie Ray Vaughan. There, I, I do some blues tunes from uh, from some of these bands out of Chicago that are, are lesser known, if you will. Like Little Ed and the Blues Imperials comes to mind. I'll throw that out. Um, I do a John Denver. Yeah. Love John Denver. Uh, I do... Just, just all sorts of stuff. So those are the players. On the other hand, again, we go back to Tony Rice. I think I approach, uh, especially solo, uh, not so much in a, as an ensemble because you know I'm usually playing electric guitar with that. But I approach the way he he performs a solo song. Uh, it's just it's, there's guitar parts in there that that it's not just strumming and playing, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, who was. Uh, uh, a big influence on me early on is Brian Derrick, who <laughs> we all know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Brian. Uh, uh, in my early 20s, I used to go see a band. He was in the Eye Steadies. Yes. Yep. And uh, my uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time loved the Eye Steadies, and, and I, I rather enjoyed them myself. They had wonderful harmonies, and, of course, Brian's just a wonderful musician. And I liked the, his approach to how he he plays solo mm-hmm. actually he's uh he's really good so you know there are a lot of influences out there i pick up on and and uh, uh just try to perform them like like i think they would but in my own style sure now the, the um you have kind of a diverse group of performers who you like i mean john denver john denver and gordon lightfoot can kind of be put into the right. same category you know, right. and then Tony Rice over here, and then Bob Dylan over here, and Little Feet over here, and then some blues. Is that because of growing up, you just happened to listen to all of that and, and, I think and so. acquire yes. a taste for it? Absolutely. And I was very fortunate enough to perform, you mm-hmm. know, the blues music and be on stage with a, with an electric band and and, and uh, um, just just like it all. I, I, I will say that in the last oh, five or six years in bluegrass music, it's changed so much and it's really not, I didn't want to continue doing that kind of thing. The Billy strings, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the bands out of Colorado, that kind of thing. It's just, it's just different than the way I approach bluegrass music. What do they call it? New grass or something, something like that. I think so. Yeah. I think, uh, well, Tony Rice started that kind of thing in the mid seventies, I believe, and mm-hmm. carried it through the eighties and, and now, and, and every, you know, as music evolves in styles, uh, it changes and, and sometimes for the better, sometimes not. Um, but, uh, the bluegrass music today is just, just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Now, so, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that's why, well, okay, I'm going to just 
perform solo and do the songs that I like to do. Yeah. Now you, um, you use a, a thicker pick or a firmer yes. pick with a sharp point. Yes. What, what brand and gauge guitar strings are your favorites? Um, I, I use GHS bright bronze, mm-hmm. um, uh, medium strings, uh, for the longest time. But, uh, uh, I find that my, my hand is again, losing strength. So I've switched to, I guess, uh, uh the next step down, which like medium start with a 13 on right. the high E. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I've switched to 12s okay. now. And, um, you know, I started using elixirs for the first time, maybe six months ago. And I'm I'm enjoying them. It sounds good on the guitar. They don't last as long for me as they might someone else. I think I I got four gigs out of it, out of a set of the uh, elixirs before I had to change them. Well, it, you know, and, and everyone's hand is different, or everyone's skin is different. <laughs> I should say. Yes. Yes. And the way we perspire, or the amount of oil on our hands. I had a, 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 a it was a baritone guitar, and. I was playing with two other performers, each doing one song or one or two songs, and it was for some sort of a, a business-oriented group, and we were the entertainment during dinner. And I had had the guitar for not long. I had put a new set of Elixir polywebs um, yes. on the on the guitar, because uh, that's what Elixirs were back then. They didn't have the nanowebs, which we use now. The right. And we did a sound check, and I'm getting beeped in my ear, and I apologize for that. The, uh, I'm a real estate agent and, uh, I had left a message with a fellow and he's calling me back and that's what that is. The, oh. um, but anyway, they were brand new strings. We did our sound check and I didn't, we didn't want to leave our guitars there when we left. Cause we did the sound check at like four o'clock. The thing wasn't going to start until like six. And just before we all left, one fellow said, Todd, do you mind if I play guitar for a couple of minutes? I said, no, sure, go right ahead. So he played two or, you know, 10 minutes worth on the guitar. He goes, hey, nice guitar, thanks very much. I put it in the case, ran home to change. It was about a 20-minute drive. And just as I was getting ready to leave the house, I thought, you know, I'm going to tune again now. So I, all I have to do is tweak it when I get there. Right. And I took the guitar out of the case, and I strummed it, and I went, what the heck happened to my guitar? <laughs> yes. It was as dead as a doornail. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was when I got back and I had to put rush and put a new set of strings on. And he, I said, you know, what's up with this? He goes, Oh, I forgot to tell you, I have that acid skin. And those were the, the heavy protected elixirs. Right. The, um, so, so everyone's different as far as their skin. Oils, wow. Things like absolutely. That. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the GHS bright bronze that I used for the longest time, I could get one, one three hour show out of that. Mm-hmm. And I would change them every time. Uh, sometimes I could stretch them a little bit, you know, depending on Sunday afternoon, if I was playing, you know, well, we'll, we'll go ahead and do this and then change them the next day or something like that. But, um, still have quite a, quite a few packs of them left, so I'll be <laughs> using them. Now, do you find that the elixirs, when you first put them on, are not quite as bright as the GHS, but they settle in nicely? Absolutely, and, and that's, that's my thoughts exactly. Um, uh, it took uh, maybe a set for me to really uh, uh, feel, mm-hmm. the, the feel and the tone of it on the tailors. Um, uh, for them to settle in. I, I certainly agree with that. Yes. Yeah. Well, how do you go about, since you do work a day job and this would be pre pandemic because it's very difficult to, um, to book a show nowadays, but how did you go about setting up your gig schedule? Um, I, you know what, there was a time in my life when I wasn't playing as much, um, after I had owned a bar, you know, in 2003 or four. And, uh, I said yes to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as time progressed, um, I was able to get my, my job, I'm the director of retail merchandising for Baltimore, Washington for the American dairy association. So I can basically set my schedule right now. And there's been times, you know, I have a gig, uh, Thursday afternoon or something like that. And it's just worked out for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a, I'm in a really good position right now as far as, you know, playing. And, um, but back then I, I, I juggled it. There were times when I would double book uh-huh. there, maybe once or twice, but once that happened, it's like, I can't do this. You yeah. know? So, 
So I, you know, I had to learn to say no, mm -hmm. which is tough. Well, yes, because you want to be invited back. Absolutely. Now, do you find that most of your gigs now are people searching you out? You've played there before. They like your music. Or do you still have to um, do your own marketing continually to get new gigs? No, no. You know, I need to, I'm in the process of updating my website now, and, and I really haven't needed it. Mm -hmm. I mean, for, for folks like yourself that have really, you know, been nice and, and passed things on to me, um, once I've, I've just been very lucky for instance, you know, this year is and my, I have friends that, that play music for a living and I feel so sorry for them, you know, mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, have played more this year than, uh, than, you know, in the last couple of years, mm -hmm. um, simply because solo and duos are the, I, I think that's the, the places that, uh, uh, are booking at least, you know, the wineries and that kind of thing. And I have a, a five, about five wineries that I play on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, a brew pub up here, Antietam Brewery, that I've been doing some stuff with. So, Now, do you prefer, because I know quite a few of the wineries, especially this past summer, the music was outdoor, mm -hmm. um, which means it's a little tough on a lot of them because they don't have large enough spaces inside some of them where you can actually right. get social distancing. Right. But, do you prefer to perform indoors or outdoors? It makes no difference. Uh, it doesn't make a difference. I tell you, I've settled in. I have a Mackie system that it just works for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I have one monitor that I use. If I can hear my guitar, then I'm able to just, you know, let it go. It's just a wonderful system that I have, and uh, um, it, it doesn't matter. Now, what do you use as far as a microphone? What's your choice? I have a Sennheiser. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know the name, like an S10 or something to that effect. But uh -huh. it's, uh, I've had it for uh, a couple of years, and I have, uh, of course, have a Shure uh, 58, and uh, uh, just uh, it's just clear, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I can hear and so forth and so on. I'm not picky about all, really. You know, I know a lot of musicians uh, will. Oh, I've got to have this microphone, or I've got to have it like this. And um, you know, as long as it's a good name and it's sturdy mm -hmm. and it does its job, I'm I'm fine with it. So I've settled in, and and, and so I've, I'll buy Sennheiser again. I'll buy Shure, and of course Mackie products. I just I just am, am over the moon with that sure. purchase. Yeah. Yeah, no, I found, because I have, and I have the low-end E835, I think, series of um, Sennheiser uh, microphones. I got them as okay. a, as a you, it was a three-pack that you got a, a break on. This is years exactly. ago. Exactly. Yeah, I think I use the same one. <laughs> yeah. And what I find about those is if someone has a muffly kind of voice, um, I have a couple friends who, when you hear them, Without a microphone, they just sound fine. You put them on a Shure, and everything gets a little like that. Yeah, yeah. And and I take out the Sennheiser and, oh, cured the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I remember I used Sennheisers when I was in Up With People way back when, 19, or, yeah, it would have been 1984 when I did that. And uh, uh, just wonderful stuff. So tell me, how, how did you get to be part of Up With People? I was uh, I was a senior in high school at Martinsburg, and um, I was in the show choir, and uh, uh, I was the uh, drummer at the time. But uh, my uh, music director knew that I played guitar and that kind of thing. So um, at that particular time, would have been 1983, in Martinsburg, um, there's a General Motors plant, or there was. And General Motors was a huge sponsor of Up With People. So they um, uh, did a tour of all the G local GM plants all over the United States, and they happened to come to Martinsburg. And when they did the show, they invited the three high schools in the area, the show choirs. And uh, uh, at the end at the end of a show, what they, they'll ask if anybody wants to think about traveling with Up With People, because it's not all about music at all. Mm -hmm. It's about how you interact with people and how you would be in the world and that kind of thing. So, but uh, my music director spoke with the people in charge there, and I had a sit-down interview for about 20 minutes. 
And then I uh, read, sight read uh, some uh, music, and about a week later, I got a letter in the mail saying that I had been accepted. And uh, so that would have been May of 1983, or I'm sorry, May of 1984, I was going to graduate, and then I left in July for a whole year. For a whole year? For one year, yeah, July of 1st to July 1st of 1985. Now, was that continuous touring? What was how how was yes. it structured? Um, we let's see. The first the first six weeks, we went to Tucson, Arizona, the University of Arizona, and there were four casts of 150 people each. Wow! So yeah, it was a big uh, big deal, and each one had a tour going on, and I was selected for cast C, and I was the electric guitar player. There's YouTube videos of all this, so all you have to do is search Eddie Barney so, or, or Up With People Cast C, and you'll see it. But um, learned the show, and then we went on the road and made a beeline from Arizona um, on a bus uh, and would play shows nightly almost. Um, and we would stay with people in the particular town we were in, and depending on the size of the town. Uh, if we're in Alamogordo, New Mexico, we'll, we were there for two days. But if we were in Montreal, Canada, we were there for 10. Really? Uh, yeah. And uh, we would stay with uh, uh, families that lived there. And and uh, so it was very educational. And uh, it was for college-age folks. And I was on the younger end of the spectrum. I was I had turned 18 that, that particular summer. and uh, uh, But everyone was 22, 23 years old. They had taken a break from college. But I got to see – I was in Rome, Italy for three weeks – London for three weeks, Brussels, Belgium, and uh, staying with people wherever you go. What a cool experience! It was it was amazing. You know, a young fellow out of West Virginia <laughs> going to see the world. It was uh, very eye opening, very educational, and um, uh, the things I learned and some of the attitudes I have about about the world today were really formed at that time. Now, are any of the uh, cast members from your touring with them, and I'm, I apologize, I'm getting a beep on my phone again. <laughs> the, okay. Any of the cast members still part of your life? You correspond. Oh, absolutely. Or, Facebook yeah. has been a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing to use in the last ten years. Practically, and everyone in the United States, uh, I would say, uh, you know, we had 150 people, and I still keep in contact with uh, about half of them. That's a lot of people. Absolutely. And it's a lot of up with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, there was uh, uh, the closest member uh, lives in Damascus. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And uh, they were uh, uh, there was a get together of local uh, up with people alumni, if you will, about about eight or nine. And uh, that particular day, uh, you had gotten me into the Frederick Coffee Company mm -hmm. and uh, they all showed up. Oh, did they really? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it was fun. I, I I did the up with people song. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was great. Now, are are do many of them still perform on some level? Um, I, I possibly I know theater. A lot of there's mm -hmm. some folks in theater, uh, but you know, there's other. Uh, they moved on to other walks of like nurses and doctors and sure. uh, corporate people and that kind of thing. Um, none of the musicians that I know of in my particular group, and we had three keyboards, we had a full horn section, two guitars, bass, drums. None of the, none of the, well, the bass player, I think he lives in San Diego. He's, uh, he's still performing a little bit, but not, no one is doing it professionally. Well, as, for, as we know, it's very difficult to do it professionally full time. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, you know, but there are, uh, dancer, there were dancers in there mm -hmm. and actually, uh, one 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 of my friends from South Carolina was a stage manager for Cirque du Soleil. Oh yeah, yeah, and so he was able to to do do some stuff like that. But uh, other than that, it's uh, I don't know of anybody else that's doing that. Well, it's because I was I was not involved with them. Wanted to be, but I was a little too young. I think I was a sophomore in high school, or maybe 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 a junior. And we're talking the late nineteen sixties. And what was so wonderful about that show was how uplifting it was. I mean, it's called Up With People, but it, it was Absolutely. definitely almost what I would call old school uplifting. And the I think they had 
they were probably because this would have been on Cape, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and they mm-hmm. played at the ice skating rink that was their mm-hmm. performance. Yeah, um, it was summertime or at least warmer weather, and I was just—I think there were three performances, maybe four. We, mm-hmm. we went to all of them. Yeah, just a fun, fun time. Absolutely, and um, uh, you know, out of the the 150 folks maybe 30 had musical talent where they would be on the mics and do the lead songs and that kind of thing. But then we had another group that would be the dancers out front. Mm -hmm. They had, they were able, they were skilled enough to do the dances and that kind of thing. And one of the things you could do was, you know, at the beginning of the year, you might not have any talent to dance, but by the end of the year, you would learn steps and that kind of thing and be able to do, be a part of the show that way. Mm Mm-hmm. And music too. They were we had backups and and uh, uh, that kind of thing. And they we, we would you know they would be able to get in and do a, a show here or there that kind of thing. Now what what guitar were you playing then? <laughs> I had pl- I was playing an Ibanez artist, mm-hmm. um, Solid Body, that uh, I had bought at uh, in Hagerstown, a place called Carpenter's Music. And I took with me, and uh, I still have that guitar, although it's it needs a lot of work. But uh, uh, it suited me well for what it was. Now, uh, speaking of electric guitars, do you have a, a collection now besides that one? I have uh, two. I have a Fender Strat mm-hmm. with a Shaw Bucker pickup on it that I use. I'm not a, I, I you know, I, I speak to a lot of friend music friends. They have twenty guitars and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I have five. And uh, I use three. So, well, are is a guitar a tool to you, or is it? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, I collect bobbleheads. That's why I'm a big baseball fan. Uh huh. That's the thing. I'm Washington Nationals baseball fan, so I have every bobblehead made, basically. But uh, um, yeah, I, I use them as a tool. Um, and I've been thinking about maybe adding to the, you know, getting another one just so I have it and that kind of thing, but just never pulled the trigger on that. Now, when you do a solo gig, do you take your Martin and your Blue Ridge or do you just take oh, one of them? No, I just, uh, uh, I've been using the Taylor this summer mm-hmm. uh, simply because I've, uh, it, it sounds better. Yeah. Um, although the Blue Ridge is, you know, I, I would use that also. Um, but I, I, I just wanted to break, I haven't, I had, wasn't using the tailor and I hadn't brought it out for a year or so. So I, f- I figured that, well, let's give it a shot and, and, uh, it's worked out well. Now I, I'm looking at the photo of you on your website and you have this kind of iridescent, what well, looks iridescent purple, um, guitar strap. Are, yes. Are you, are you, <laughs> are you a connoisseur of guitar straps or is it whatever you have and, oh, that'll um, work. That's one that uh, I've had for quite a few years. Uh, early on, when I was playing electric music, you know, you're playing blues music and you got that electric kind of thing. Play the Stevie Ray Vaughan song. Okay, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so I'd have that that strap on lightning. Uh, and I use that. I, do I have? Yeah, it's on. I use that when I play the strap. Yeah. Now, how do you go about? Uh, as a guitar, because you're a very good guitar player, or do you tune your guitar by ear? Do you use a, a tuner both. pedal, a clip-on? How do you go about both. tuning? I have a, I have a clip-on, mm-hmm. um, but I've found most of the time my guitar just stays in tune. Ah. Uh, I, I, I rarely break strings. Um, on the electric also. Now, the, the electric, because of the way I play, I think I throw it out of tune often, but I have a floor tuner with the electric, mm-hmm. but with the Taylor, I just have a, a clip-on tuner and, uh, you know, try to keep it in tune as best I can. And I've learned to compensate if I lose my G, if I'm, especially if I'm playing with an ensemble, it's much easier. But if I'm by myself, you know, I got to try and compensate, maybe sharpen it somehow with one of my fingers, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But, uh, but I've never really gone way out of tune where I just have to stop and retune, you know? Well, I, I'm always amazed by guitar players who, and it tends to be more acoustic players, or maybe those, I just happen to watch more YouTube videos of acoustic right. players, but 
But I've seen them live too. They're in the middle of a song and they just very casually reach over and tweak a tuner. Yeah. Without oh, yeah. without losing rhythm or anything. And it's like yep. one, I'm amazed that they can I mean, I can hear when my guitar is out and sometimes it's not out and I just think it is. But the fact that they can hear it and correct it in just in one little tweak without breaking yes. what they're doing amazes me. Can you do that? Yeah. I can, and and uh, I and I mean, don't get me wrong. I have broken strings in the middle of a song, mm -hmm. and bluegrass, bluegrass music. I, I was, I guess, you, I play traditional bluegrass music, but bring it up to date, mm -hmm. if you will. It's not the old, the fifties, forties kind of thing. It's more contemporary, if you will, with more picking and that kind of thing. I've broken strings, and um, the you know, I've had where I like a G string and I have to play, the, you know, all I can do is play the first four strings mm -hmm. or the first three strings. And I've just taken a solo and that, and then wait till the end of the song and then, and then change it. Well, you mentioned when, when you were auditioning for up with people, they gave, they mm -hmm. asked you to sight read, which you did. Yes. So you must know the fretboard quite well. Um, it's a mathematical thing to me. I can I, like and there's positions like the first five frets I see it a certain way, the next five frets I see a certain way, and you know how chords are interchangeable. A lot of bluegrass music is based around the chord, um, whether it be a D chord, a C chord, or a G chord. And um, uh, when you add scales, you add color to it, and then it comes out like Tony Rice might take a solo mm -hmm. instead of somebody that's just strumming their guitar. Um, so I see it in, 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 in certainly different ways than, than another, other guitar players might. For instance, so you're playing blues music, you, you, you see an E chord, whether it's a bar E chord or whatever. I see it in, as an A chord. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, if I'm playing in D, I might use, start on the seventh fret down there because I'm, you know, I can bar my first finger over that. There's three strings on the D and then use the other fingers to do other things. Now, did that just happen, or did you say, gosh? It, it, it developed, I yeah. think. Um, I think there was a time when I was um, using a slide, mm -hmm. and I didn't, I didn't have time to do an, have an alternative tuning or something like that, and um, it just, I see it in the key of A, or an A chord. And so if I'm playing on the 12th fret, well, I'm in G, mm -hmm. right? And so it just sort of developed that way. And, it, and of course, it took time for it to for it to happen that way. So, does that mean you you are a player who rarely uses a capo? Not not necessarily. No, I, I some kind uh, with uh, bluegrass music, especially um, you know, playing it out of E position is just impossible to get some some kind of uh, flat picking things going on. You can, but it doesn't sound quite natural. Um, and you can do more things if you capo. I, if I'm playing in the key of B, I'll capo four and play it out of G. Mm -hmm. um, I've played it out of A several times. But basically for bluegrass music, it's out of G or out of C or out of D position. Well, I've watched, there was one I watched, and it was must have been six or seven, and these are all the, the A-list um pickers basically right, in right. like the Nashville area. I'm sure they're not sure. all from Nashville, but they, and they just, somebody starts it off and they play and each player does the, the lead where everyone mm -hmm. else is playing rhythm basically or, or fill, right. fill oh, behind yes. them. And yes. one, I'm impressed with how they must be able to count without counting because they automatically know when it's their turn or maybe there's a slight nod or something that i'm not seeing but they no one seems to be worried about what key it's in where the chords are going is that because like you said in in bluegrass it's it's either those three one of well, those three keys are you talking about like a instrumental tune yes okay um these particular tunes there's just like let's take rock and roll music we all know certain tunes mm -hmm. right you know if i'm in a jam session do you know this tune and everybody does well in the bluegrass field they do that too yeah and and a lot of instrumental tunes everyone knows and they're all about a pattern even if i don't know it i can feel the pattern um and let's say 
the violin starts the song off. It's usually two or four times around. Oh, okay. So, okay. And, uh, yeah, it's based on two, four, six, eight, ten. <laughs> There's no other weird signatures out there. But the pattern of most instrumentals have two parts or four parts. Mm-hmm. So I know that even if I'm strumming a G chord, no changes, I know when to come in with that particular song. Gotcha. Because all you got to do is count in your head that it's four times. Now, do you ever find yourself daydreaming and you've lost count? <laughs> that happened early on. Um, like when I first got into bluegrass music, I, when the banjo started a song, I couldn't tell you what song it was. Uh, but now I can hear a, hear a banjo start a tune and tell you exactly what that song is. Just because you're um, so familiar with but, the tunes. But yeah, yeah, well, you have to be, you have to concentrate, if, especially if you're on stage. And you've practiced, you know, if I'm on stage with somebody, I've practiced the song and I know. But in the practice room, we, you know, it takes a little time. Okay, it's going to go two times around. Then it's going to go to the B part, then just back to the A part again. And you go from there. I, like I could explain that to, let's say, well, well, you, if you and I are on stage playing an instrumental, Todd, it's going to go twice around in the A part twice around in the B part, and then we're just going to repeat the whole thing as we go along. Mm-hmm. So is it easy for you if, say, you go to listen to a, a group or another performer, and they say, <laughs> oh, there's that's Ed Barney. And, Ed, do you have your guitar? Come on up to, to join in. Or is it, it somewhat nerve-wracking? Like, oh gosh, I don't. I would. Oh, oh no, I don't. I wish. Uh, I wish I could get nervous anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was involved with. Uh, I've been involved with open mics. Oh, thirty years. And uh, one thing that I was uh, fortunate enough to do during that time, if I, if I was part of an instrument, people would ask me to play with them. And, you know, you know, like there's somebody new starting out and Mm -hmm. that kind of. So I learned all these songs at this point for me. I just need to know the key of the song, what style you're playing. And we can go from there. Yeah. So that's really it. So you can jump in pretty quickly. I I would like to think so, but it doesn't always hold true. But Mm -hmm. I I think 75 percent of the time I can usually find my way around and make it sound like I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Now, do you get, I know you get calls fairly often for festivals where it's a pickup group, kind of, like with Todd Coyle and, and that group, sure. maybe at, at like Earth Day or something like, like that. Do you sure. ever get a request to be a sideman in the studio? Oh, yes. Now, and not so much lately, you know, not in the last couple of years, but there for a while I was uh, traveling to Front Royal, Virginia, or somewhere down there to be a part of a, on a part of an album or something like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now requesting you to do the, the lead work or, or, or what? Both the rhythm and the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, it just depends on what that particular person wants to have happen on their album. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, if they want me to do the lead parts, of course, but then that's usually what it comes from. Ed, I want you to throw down a solo here you know, for whatever reason or whatever it may be, or, uh, but I also need you to play the lead part. So how do you come up with that lead part? Um, just the, the, the information I have in my head, you know, <laughs> and, and what I think the artist wants, wants it to sound like. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, for myself that I have in the last 20 years developed my own style. I've had people tell me that uh, they can hear music and they don't have to see me, and they know that that's Ed Bunny playing. Well, that's pretty cool. And, yeah, really, really cool. So I have a way that I play, and, and if that's something that fits with someone on what they're doing, whether recording or live or however it may be, well, of course, and sure, I would like to be a part of that. It's really nice. Now, are you comfortable as a vocalist? You know, it's it, it, the more I do it, the, the, the better I am. <laughs> uh, the opportunities I had from the get from the, you know, years ago was harmony parts. So I learned how to sing harmony, um, like a baritone part. Maybe uh, my range. I have a pretty good range, I think. But I'm a smoker also, so that detracts from a lot of kind of things. But uh, uh, I'm more confident today than I ever have. Been. Um, well, I you know 
like the song we played at the beginning of the show, you're a competent singer for sure. I appreciate that. And that tells me that I'm on the right track. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I look at it as a, um, is the voice pleasing or not? Sure. And there are people who I have heard, and it could be in a musical movie, um, you know, an old cowboy movie or a Hollywood um, big production, or it could be live where I know that the person is an accomplished vocalist. Right. But I don't think it's a good vocal, or at least it doesn't work for me. It's not necessarily pleasing. Sure, um, sure. And the one thing you have going for you, like many of the people who get requested to come back to wineries and, and, and breweries and so forth, is you're not only a competent vocalist, but it's also pleasing to hear. Right, right. And yeah, I, 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 and I mean, as I say, I, I continue listening to, and again, it goes back to presentation, I think. Uh, uh, and I spoke with Brian Derrick and Tony Rice and some of these people that I always have in my head on how they present a song and that's vocally for sure i've always been one and, and a lot of folks say, well we don't want to do a song like the record you know mm -hmm. but in, in my way of thinking let's do it like the record because inevitably it doesn't matter what you do you're not going to sound like that particular song whether it be sundown by gordon lightfoot or, or or what have you brandy let's say you mm -hmm. know i'm not going to sound like the guy on the record right so, um, I just do it like the record. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, uh, Paul Simon is a good example of a performer who has, his, his, his version of his own songs has morphed over the years. Yes. To the point where I've heard him perform in some things in his later years. And when I say later years, the last 10 years, um, although he's not that much older than me, he's probably my age or a couple of years <laughs> older, but anyway, he'll, he'll start the song and it will take me eight bars before I even know what song he's singing. Right. Because he's, right. he, it's morphed and I'm sure people get bored singing. I know, um, Jimmy Buffett absolutely refuses to do Margaritaville in some instances cause he just hates it. But, right. but if that's your ticket and the people are paying money to go see you and that's what they want to hear to me, it's kind of like, well, I don't care if I hate it. They want to hear it. That's absolutely. I agree with that totally. I still continue to perform "Take Me Home, Country Roads." Yep. Uh, every practically every winery I play. Yeah. Um, and and there's there's some folks there that can you play? You know, do you take requests? Yeah. Well, John Denver. <laughs> yeah. So I finally learned a couple other of his greatest hits, and now I'll I'll do the one because I save that for the big finish. You know. Yeah. Now, now what are the John Denver tunes that you play? Uh, poems, prayers, and promises. Mm -hmm. And uh, Starwood and Aspen. Yep. Now the um, let's see, Gordon Lightfoot. What do you, what are your the, the top three uh, that you play? Sundown. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and I just learned that one actually. Uh, but uh, uh, Tony Rice recorded. He he did a solo album with just he and his guitar, and he recorded Shadows, mm -hmm. uh, Cold on the Shoulder. If you've ever heard of that one, yep. and um, uh, Bitter Green. Mm -hmm. is one that I that I, I I do. And of course now I do Carefree Highway and mm -hmm. and uh, uh the the Sundown tune so. Yeah, the um now do you can you listen to a song and be able to pick it up on the guitar easily or is it better cuz what I do now cuz I don't have one of those ears where I can say, "Oh, I know what chord progression is playing." I'm just not that educated on the fretboard. I play by right. ear and yet my ear um, can't tell me. How do you do it? I think so. I do it the same way. Uh, I listen to music constantly. Uh, with my job, uh, I have to start the day driving an hour and 20 minutes. So I have a YouTube channel that mm -hmm. I listen to. And and, and so uh, over the course of, of many years, I uh, have listened to so many songs. But lately, and, and a prime example of this, uh, I was asked to do a wedding just uh, about a month ago. And they wanted me to learn a trace atkins number ah. now i'm not a new country fan whatsoever i couldn't name you one song that he performed or toby keith is another mm -hmm. so um it was kind of tough and uh, i certainly didn't perform it like the record <laughs> you know uh i i learned it 
but I was, it really brought me stress and, and cause I, I'm just not a new country fan at all. Yeah. So, and this was for a wedding and it was like, Oh my gosh, I need to, I need to really buckle down and learn it. So, um, that was tough simply because that's not my style of music. Right. Well, and you're also having to learn a song for a specific performance where you probably don't have time to allow it to become um, a memory song. What I call a memory song is you yes. don't have to think about playing it. You just play it. Absolutely. My words exactly. The um, I used to do a number of weddings back in the 1970s, but they always seemed to request the same 10 songs. <laughs> right. So it made it very easy. And they those 10 songs, for the most part, were part of my repertoire, so it was very easy. But I've, sure. no, I've noticed lately when I do seldom get requested to play in a wedding, they, they ask me to play these songs, and I'm thinking, you've heard me play, and yet yes. you want me to sing that song? Right. That's like... Yes. That's not my style at all. Why would you? No. But the, uh, oh, well. I know, yeah, it's very, uh, I learned, and, and I, there was a, another wedding, uh, Ben Rector, and a uh, uh, contemporary tune, but I certainly, I don't have his vocal range, mm -hmm. and it's kind of set way up high and that kind of thing. And I, I did the song, but it certainly didn't sound like it was supposed to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm learning and that's again, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, I have to learn to say no. Yeah. It's not, it's not, this isn't what my presentation should be or will be, you know? Yeah. Um, you mentioned you have kids. Yes. I have a, I have one 30 year old. Wow. <laughs> and he lives in Shepherdstown. Yes. I, uh, uh, been married twice. And, um, uh, again, with, the my first wife, I owned a bar in Shepherdstown where we had music seven nights a week. And, mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot, I had a lot of interesting stuff at that time. And I, I picked up a lot of stuff. Now, does your son play music? Um, uh, uh, no, he, uh, he was a drummer at one time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, now he just hangs out in Shepherdstown. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I've enjoyed our conversation. It's been, I, you know, I didn't know much about you. I really didn't, as I right. mentioned off air. And this is, sure. I had no clue. You are one of three people I've ever known who actually did participate in the, the, the group Up With People. <laughs> one was a high school friend of mine. Wow, okay. But he joined after we left high school, so I never knew it until right. know, 25, 30 years later. right. So what a cool yeah. experience. And it sounds like you've had a very varied, very interesting, um, fun musical life. Oh, my goodness. It, it's been wonderful. I play, you know, I've had the opportunity. I played blues. And I played southern rock. I played uh, country. I've played. I've been in a, a part of many, many styles. And uh, um, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And it's, you know, it's led me here to where I'm where I am today. Now, when Ed Barney gets home from work <laughs> and he, he sees the guitar sitting over in the corner and he grabs it and sits down on the chair or the sofa or wherever, what is the first song that you generally go to? Uh, when I pick up my guitar now, especially this year, um, and, and I have a, a garage where I open the garage door and I have a chair that I've set up there and I do, there's a bluegrass instrumental called Roanoke that was Bill Monroe and it's extremely fast. And it's, um, um, it was a mandolin based tune, but I've, I play it on the guitar and I just try to keep my hands limber because there for March, April, May, we weren't playing very much at all. That's right. And I just wanted to not lose anything in my hands so i started playing this particular thing and today matter of fact yesterday when it was snowing i sat down on a chair and played this particular thing and then i'll go off and just play scales or that kind of thing and whatever uh, tune comes to my head i i pop it up maybe i'll put the capo on the fourth fret play something out of the key of e maybe uh uh you know wildflowers by tom petty and that, that might pop in my head or uh, uh, if, uh, if I'm in the key of D or whatever, maybe uh, Bob Seger. Matter of fact, I just uh, been doing still the same mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Shame on the Moon. Just for whatever. <laughs> yeah. Just because you want to. 
Absolutely. Yeah, which is a great way to approach music, just because I want to. There you go. Well, listen, this has been fantastic. Hopefully the future uh, arrives, not that I want us to age more than we already are, but I hope the future <laughs> musically opens up sooner rather than later. I know this winter may be still very difficult, but hopefully by late spring, early summer, we can start getting back to somewhat of a normal performance schedule, at least to I the outdoor so. ones. I think so. I mean, talking, speaking with, and, and, and again, I've been very lucky this year playing uh, the play, the venues that I've played. They they seem to think that that's what's going to happen. So yeah. we'll keep our fingers crossed, and and we'll we'll go from there. Well, Ed, thanks again. Um, I wish you continued uh, good music and happy holidays to you. Same to you, Mister Mister Walker. I really appreciate you talking to me today. All right. Well, be well, my <laughs> friend, and hopefully, I get to see you in person sometime in the near future. I certainly hope so. All right. Thanks, Ed. All right, Todd. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, that was Ed Barney, sometimes known as Eddie Barney, if you knew him in the earlier years. When I say, like he mentioned back when he owned the bar and things like that, the um, what a fascinating background musically. I had no idea he was involved with Up With People. What a fantastic um, musical experience that was. And again, I saw it when it first started back in the late 19, mid to late 1960s, and he did it in the 1980s. But anyways, thanks so much to um, for listening to the show with Ed Barney. We're just going to finish off the show with a little bit of music. The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studios in Frederick, Maryland. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share it with friends, family, and co-workers. They can uh, go to the link wispymopmusic.podbean.com, and Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N, or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>